Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. And just like that, we're back. Thursday edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for listening. What a loaded show we had the other day. Great feedback on the Tuesday morning extra pod. Got a little feisty, kept it positive because I had had accusations hurled my way. Not just sent, but hurled my way that the show had taken a little negative turn the past couple of days because of all the playoff expansion news. So, yes, we turned things upside down Tuesday. You guys responded in overwhelming fashion. So, hey, we're going to try and just duplicate more and more and more of that. We have a really loaded mailbag this morning. I told you last week somebody had submitted a question. Connor, I think it is. Connor... As I scroll, as I, Corbin, yeah, forget Connor. Who in the world's Connor? There are probably a lot of Connors listening, and I love each and every one of you. But Corbin asked, if I would give a summary of my career leading up to this point, and I told you I'm not going to lead the show with it because a lot of you just care about the college football, but for those of you who are interested in the inner workings of this business and how you try and rise up, and each person has their own unique story, mine's probably about as unique as it gets out there, that's how we're going to end today's pod. But in the meantime, we got a ton of college football to get to. And I'm looking as we speak, live count right now, I'm looking at our Apple podcast. We have 1,483, 1,483 five-star reviews. Wouldn't it just be the greatest thing in the world if we kicked that thing right over 1,500? So for those of you, I just need 17 of you, preferably more. But if there are 17 of you in our very, very much expanding audience every week, listening who have not given us a five-star review, open it up, go to the show page. You go to it every time to listen. Anyway, scroll all the way, scroll, 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 scroll down to the bottom, and you're going to see the option. Click that fifth star all the way over to the right. Five-star review. We get over 1,500. I don't know what we're going to do, but we should throw some kind of party. So thank you for getting us there. I mean, we shouldn't have, proportionate to how long we've existed, we shouldn't have more than 500 five-star reviews right now. And here we are bordering on 1,500. Our show numbers continue to go up even in the middle of what everyone else out there calls the off-season. Doesn't exist around here, and so uh, we get all the byproduct of a growing audience. Thank you, and because we have a growing audience, I'm going to shut up because we got a loaded mailbag this morning. Let's dive in, and I'll actually end up listening to this episode as I drive back home to Georgia tomorrow night, so better be good. That's all I'm saying. Nick leads us off. Nick says, while it's early... Florida State seems to have poised themselves to finish with a better recruiting class in 2022 than Florida, which will include two five-stars in Travis Hunter and Sam McCall. Meanwhile, the Gators off to a very slow start. How or why is FSU out-recruiting Florida, given that Florida State has been in a rut for quite a few years, while Florida has been having a lot of on-field success? Now, Nick, I know it may sound mildly hypocritical of me to say what I'm about to say, given that just last week I did a segment praising Florida State's recruiting efforts, and I'm not taking that back. What I want to do is I want to just make sure we have the proper backdrop here. No one has signed. You're talking about two verbal commits there in McCall and Hunter. I get that. No one has signed, but I think a lot of the momentum that you feel and I feel is coming off 
a lot of energy that's emanating from the effort down there. That staff is very front-facing with their recruiting effort. They are marketing themselves. I think a lot of older Seminole fans, it's hard to get on board with that only because you think we are established. Man, this is Florida State for decades and decades and decades. Now, we have been relevant on the national scene. This is not 1971 anymore. We don't need to market ourselves. Well, you're slightly wrong there. You shouldn't need to market yourself. But see, that's not Mike Norvell's concern. All he can do is work with what he inherited. And what he inherited is a program that's been down for a little while. Now they have to market themselves as a result. Because you may not mean, in the mind of a 17-year-old, what you think you mean. So they got to swallow the pride. they got to market themselves. Well, they've been doing that. And so to go back to the question here, because they've been doing that, and they got a lot of guys on campus, they really did a good job. Remember the moment the dead period ended on June 1st, they had kids at 12.01 a.m. all over campus. And it was really good. It's all marketing. It's all selling. And that is wonderful. That is sizzle. You've eventually got to have the steak with it. So we're talking about still months down the road when the early signing period finally gets here and then the late signing period gets here. When the dust settles, I'm not saying Florida State will not have out-recruited Florida, but they hadn't done it yet. They have done a much better job of getting attention, but for all we know, Florida staff looks around and says, we don't need to do that. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. You can argue that. That's an entirely separate question. But they haven't out-recruited anyone yet. We'll find out if they out-recruited someone or anyone else, not just the Florida staff, come signing day. Now, in the meantime, the second question you asked is, how could that be possible if Florida has had a better on-field product than Florida State the last few years? Well, like we talk about a lot, on-field results are not always attached. In fact, many times they are detached from the recruiting effort. Many times, if you have a really good staff, they can harness the lack of result on field and sell it on the recruiting trail in the form of a vision of you, the recruit, turning this around. We need you to come in here. We don't have players like you right now. Therefore, we cannot get the results we want. You are the key and several others like you. You guys are the key. And it's, it's easy in theory to understand how that approach can work because it's not like you're walking into some third world country in Tallahassee. It's a very, very solid program. It's a storied program. It's not like you have to wonder whether you can win there or not. In the last decade, they've won a national championship there. They've won a championship more recently than Florida has. So it's not out of this world crazy that you could go heads up against Florida and beat them for a kid. I know it doesn't make sense to maybe a casual fan because you look at the better program on the field and you say, why wouldn't you want to go play for them? Well, a lot of 17-year-old kids, when you talk to them, they view past results as just that. Those are results where I wasn't included. Now, for better or for worse, if you think this is cocky or confidence, I'll leave that up to you. But kids think I can be the difference. These coaches are telling me I can be the difference. Certainly I can be the difference there. Sometimes they're right about that, especially if they don't come alone and they come with several of their other friends who also have those four and five stars next to their name. They can be the difference. So, Nick, I don't know that I don't know it's a slam dunk that Florida State is out recruiting Florida. I think it seems that way and it may end up being that way. I just wouldn't write it in pen yet. You can write it in pencil. I wouldn't write it in pen just yet. Next up is Professor Football. This is from the podcast review section, by the way, where he also dropped a five-star review. Second reminder, probably not the last. Five-star reviews, always appreciated. A what? A, a, what did I just say? I don't let Jordan edit this stuff out. I like to do these, we call them as-lives, which means it's not live, but we don't erase because I don't like the safety net under me. So if I were a safety net type... I would delete whatever ratchetness just came out of my mouth, but we're not. We're leaving it in there. Here's what happened. Backstory for how appreciated happens. Back in the day, I had the thickest Southern accent you'll ever hear. If you're listening in Vidalia, Georgia right now, 
I sounded more country than you did about 15 years ago. And it's still there. It, let me, you know what? I'll show you in a second. Let me finish my point. I will show you what my natural dialect is in just a second. But I took classes for it. Now, I'm not ashamed of it. Don't misunderstand me. I'm certainly not ashamed of where I came from. Very proud to be from Georgia. However, it wasn't going to greatly behoove me to have it. In other words, we're not all Marty Smiths. We can't all just maintain the dialect and just rise in the industry like a helium balloon. So I figured, I don't know which market I want to work in. So if I end up in Cheyenne, Wyoming or Rochester, New York, I didn't know where I was going. I probably need to sound as non-regional as possible. Plus, I watched a YouTube video one day and they said that's what you should do. So I just did it because we should all trust everything that people tell us on the internet. So I did. But what happens, a lot of the techniques, I won't bore you with it, but sometimes it involves me shortening syllables. And so instead of saying appreciated the way you should say it, you just end up saying appreciated. And it sounds ridiculous. Now, you want to know what I actually sound like. Hold on a second, because you have to mentally do this. It's like taking off a jacket. So let me take off my mask, my verbal mask. The way I actually talk is this. This is totally natural for me. This is the way that I talk from about age four, when I could first speak, to about age 15. And then when I started getting on the school news, I decided I got to talk a little bit more like this and cover it up and really enunciate those words and really take the forts in Georgia out of the voice. But the forts in Georgia is always in the voice. And if you don't believe me, one day, probably this time next year, when I need to fill some time, I will go find footage that we used to shoot when we would play make-believe, when me and my buddies would do Major League Baseball preview shows or college football preview shows. And I knew I wanted to be in broadcasting one day, so my best practice was to just gather my friends and shoot footage like that. Well, the accent is there. whole lot of hairs there too, by the way, but the accent's there. So as we move on here, I can't say that I opened the podcast ready to share that portion of my life with you, but I'm glad I did. You never know where things are going here. If, maybe if you've never listened to Late Kick before, you don't know. We call this the barbecue joint mentality. The entire theory behind putting this show together is to create it and present it no different than if you and I were eating barbecue somewhere together. And so if that doesn't sound like you and I are sitting across the table from each other at Clearview Barbecue in Columbus, Georgia, I don't know what does. So it gets really loose around here sometimes. Remember, just like three and a half minutes ago, we were talking about Florida State recruiting. And then the next moment, I guess, it probably sounded like I had multiple personalities. That's just the way it is around here sometimes. All right, Professor Football gets us back on track here. Again, as live, no edits here. Professor Football asks, what does a 12-team playoff do for Notre Dame? I think this question stems from the working group that consisted, among other people, of Jack Swarbrick, who is the athletic director at Notre Dame. When they presented their 12-team playoff model, he came out after being asked, does this mean that Notre Dame could never have a first-round bye? Because the initial guideline said you have to be one of the top four conference champions to allegedly have a first-round bye. And this is not finalized, but that's what the initial proposal said. And he said, yeah, I guess that's what it would mean. Did that not sound a little nonchalant to anyone else? Am I the only one who caught that? Seemed just a little casual to me. The, the nonchalant way in which he kind of said, oh, I guess it would. Now, it was written. I didn't get to hear the audio of him say it. But what it struck me as is someone who already knows he's got an ace in his back pocket or someone who already knows what's around the corner where the rest of us don't. Now, in this case, the context would be maybe he knows they plan on joining a conference. Therefore, it's going to be a moot point. Maybe he knows that. I'm just saying if he didn't know that, 
I think there would be a lot more pushback. Or maybe he knows that there's a wink, wink, nod, nod. We're going to make a concession for Notre Dame once we get this in front of the bigger committee that actually has to decide on it and vote on it. So to answer the question here, old Professor Football, happy you submitted it, by the way, what does a 12-team playoff do for Notre Dame? Well, I think it grants them a higher percentage chance of having access every year, but I don't think it's going to victimize them. I could be wrong on this. I don't have any inside information. I just don't think Notre Dame's going to willingly sign up for something that victimizes them as they would look at it because they're not in a conference. Now, I did talk to one of my Notre Dame buddies, and he said it's not really a big deal if we can't have a first-round bye because think about it. If we don't have a first-round bye and we're ranked number three, it's because we're not in a conference, right? I said, yeah. He said, okay, that means we're not playing a conference title game either, right? I said, yeah. Well, that just means the extra game we would have played in the ACC title game Now we're just playing it as a first-round playoff game. And I guess that makes sense. The difference is if you lose the ACC title game, you're not eliminated from the playoff. You can still be in the playoff. If you lose a playoff game, obviously you're out of the playoff. So I don't know what it does to Notre Dame. I don't think we've heard the last of this, though. Two-Face Tom, next up. I'm a big Georgia fan. I always wondered why the Georgia-Florida rivalry is like second tier in the SEC compared to Auburn and Alabama in the Iron Bowl. When it comes to that game, it seems the average Joe and the media – just looks at it as an okay rivalry. What can Georgia and Florida do to make that rivalry get the respect it deserves? Well, my answer is don't care about the respect. I mean, do you respect it? Yeah. Well, it sounds like you do. You asked the question there. Uh, Do Florida fans respect it? Do Georgia fans respect it? Yes. Is it parked in the CBS prime slot every year as soon as the schedule is released? 3.30 CBS? Yes. And I don't think it's disrespected by any stretch of the imagination. Bottom line is the Iron Bowl has been a higher-profile national rivalry because it's an older rivalry. Now, what I mean by older is not necessarily how long has it been around or how many times have the two teams played. Older meaning national relevance. See, there was a guy by the name of Bear Bryant at Alabama who was there for a long time, and it just so happens Auburn was, well, Auburn was a rivalry. Back then you would call Tennessee the bigger rivalry, but Auburn was a rival there, an in-state rival. And because of their connection to Alabama through Bryant, Auburn, I know it doesn't sound like it during the Bryant era, but they were helped out because they were thrust into a national spotlight, whereas they otherwise wouldn't have been. And my point there is because of the attachment to Alabama, during the premier run in the history of the program up until right now with Saban, that spotlight got shown on that rivalry because national sports writers shone the spotlight or shined the spotlight, whichever one you want to use, on the rivalry. Whereas with Georgia and Florida, it's always been regional. It's always felt more regional to me. Now, I grew up in the region, so it's a huge deal to me. I grew up in the state of Georgia. I've been to this game multiple times. It's a great environment. I continue to go back and forth. Another one of you asked this question. I'll just throw it in here now. You know, the old do I support it being moved on campus or keeping it in Jacksonville. Right now I'm in the Jacksonville camp. I kind of go back and forth on this. I'm very wishy-washy, very 51-49 on this question. But right now I'm leaning, keep it in Jacksonville. It's a really unique environment, very, very hostile environment down there. But it's also, it's fun. And I've never been able to go to OU Texas, which I hope to change this year. And that's the big neutral site rivalry game as a result that I've been around. It's Georgia and Florida. And so I think because it's never had a superstar head coach really until Steve Spurrier got there. There was never that rock star, truly national relevant head coach. Urban Meyer then did that for just a little while. Didn't have really long enough to become established at Florida in the latter portion of the 2000s. And so I think that's the result. If if Steve Spurrier would have been at Florida in the 70s, where the sport 
got a lot of its romantic nature. It's kind of like baseball in the 20s and 30s and 40s and whatnot. If Steve Spurrier would have been at Florida a generation earlier, I think that rivalry would have a lot more national flavor to it than it does now. I think it just had already been shaped to the national degree. It had already been shaped by the time Spurrier got there. And if you think about it, that's the way it is with all rivalries. It's not unique to the SEC. It's not unique to that rivalry. How many rivalries nationally have become true, huge national rivalries in the last 20 years? It's not the Iron Bowl. It's been there for a lot longer. It's not Ohio State, Michigan. It's not USC, Notre Dame. Those have been there for a lot longer. Think about that. It's not OU, Texas. All these have been there for a long time. That's the nature of college football. It's really hard to get a newer flavored rivalry on the national radar. Now, you ask Georgia and Florida fans, they tell you there's nothing new about this rivalry. There is if you're talking about it within the context of one program being a national power. Only in the 90s was one of those teams a consistent, long-form national power. Georgia won a title in the 80s, but it wasn't year after year after year. With Spurrier, there was a stretch where it was year after year after year, but I think the book had already been written on college football rivalries by then. Next up is Kevin. Kevin says, which coach would you love to pluck from his current job just to see how well he'd do at another job? Doesn't have to be anyone on the hot seat. You can go wherever you want to in the country. So I'm glad you put the no hot seat caveat in here because I do have one I've always been curious about. I'm not trying to start rumors. I haven't heard anything. This guy's not on a hot seat whatsoever. He just made the playoff. I've always wondered how Brian Kelly, currently at Notre Dame, how he'd do in the SEC. I've always wondered if I put him in LSU or at Florida. I wanted Georgia to make a run at him before they hire Kirby Smart. I'd always wanted to see, and I have always wanted to see, what he'd do in the SEC because here's what I think about. I think about my vision. I don't know if you guys think like this, but the way my mind works is anytime you mention a name, a vision pops in my head. With Brian Kelly, the vision is a guy screaming his head off. It always felt SEC to me. It always felt Southern football to me. Now, he doesn't have ties down here, but that's never stopped a guy like Nick Saban. It's never stopped a guy like Urban Meyer. You don't necessarily have to have had ties down here. I wanted to see an SEC program land him. Uh, It's not going to happen now, but I wanted to see it at one point. Now, the big question would be, from a game day perspective, there wouldn't be a question. From a recruiting perspective, I don't know how he'd do. I never know how anyone's going to do until they get down here. But if you could imagine Brian Kelly. See, I think Brian Kelly's massively underrated right now, and a lot of you just disagree with me. I don't think you understand how hard it is to win at Notre Dame. And when I say win, I don't mean national titles. That whole Notre Dame's overrated crowd, I know you guys are out there. Notre Dame's not overrated. Notre Dame is totally properly rated. Notre Dame is not better than Alabama. No one says they are. They're not better than Ohio State or Clemson. No one says they are. So them getting beat by those teams does not make them overrated. Brian Kelly being beaten by Nick Saban does not make Brian Kelly overrated. The only way it makes him overrated is if someone was yelling, Brian Kelly's the best in the country, and then he got beat by Nick Saban. Well, then that may make him overrated. But behind those coaches... Notre Dame, Brian Kelly, behind those elite programs and coaches, that's where their spot is, and he's doing it with far less talent, and he's doing it with far less recruiting reach. And I think they're recruiting very well, to be honest with you, based on what they're capable of there. But I say all that to say I wish I could see him at a place where those sort of limitations and self-prescribed governors don't exist on the program. Brian Kelly, drop him at LSU, drop him at Florida, drop him at Georgia. I'd love to see how he'd do it in one of those major programs in the South. So 
Rach wants to talk about, oh, by the way, we're moving on now. Rach wants to talk about NIL, but specifically how all this stuff works. I, I spoke the other day a little bit about this. Uh, on the podcast, I tend to get a little more behind the scenes with you. We started to talk about NIL a couple of months ago on Late Kick. And then I stopped. I virtually stopped. We have not done an NIL segment in several weeks. And I had someone ask, why? And the reason is you. As I say to you all the time, you drive the show. And I kind of hinted at this the other night, so I'll give you a 30-second version. Now, if you could see our data and analytics, there has been a surprise. I think industry-wide, sports media industry-wide, there's been a big surprise. And that is you guys do not care about NIL from a macro perspective. Now, from a micro perspective, for instance, when a Tennessee running back ends up signing a $7,500 per year deal for fill-in-the-blank company, I think that stuff's going to click. I think that's going to do some traffic. But broader sense, you guys have not cared about it. You don't click on it. People in our business, other media folks, they're far more likely to click on those stories and videos than you are. You know what you're interested in? The transfer portal. From about a 6-to-1 to 7-to-1 ratio at this point, based on our late-kick numbers, that's what you're interested in. So that's why I haven't been talking a lot of NIL. You don't want to hear about it. But there is a question here about NIL that I think is interesting because it ties right into how the, how the nuts and bolts are going to operate, and it ties right into stuff that you eventually, I think, will care about. I'll answer it right after this. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. So here's the question here from Rach09 in the podcast review section. Another five-star review. Thank you so much. He said, with camp season upon us, as NIL is about to have a major impact, do you see camps as a way for kids to sell highlights in the future? For example, someone runs a camp. They give athletes the ability to own their highlights from it. I think there is let – me, let me break this down because I talked to someone about this last week who is very much in this business, in this world, uh, the NIL world, not the media world. And what they said was, this sounds good on the surface, but you got to understand something. The novelty will quickly wear off to you having access to your highlights. Think about cell phone footage. The first time you ever saw a cell phone video, it probably blew your mind. Wow, this, this phone ha- actually has the capability to shoot video. So what used to be a camera and then this thing attached to my wall, we've combined them 
and it doesn't have to be plugged into anything, and I can shoot video. Well, if you compared your old Nokia cell phone video to today's iPhone video, what does that Nokia cell phone video look like? It's terrible. It's the Zapruder film at this point compared to what you can do on these phones now and have been able to do for a while. So the message there is unless you have an individual video crew for each player following them around and individually documenting all their movements and all their plays and everything, you're not going to have the quality video that's necessary to monetize in a lot of ways like you think you would. This is where going to college and getting these video teams for these universities in play, in practice, that's the big difference. Florida State's announced this. Arkansas has announced this. A number of them have announced it. It's taking the university media and graphics and video department, filming you in practice like they always do, but giving you the access to it. And it's not as big a deal in one arena as it is in another arena. I think right now, if you're, let's say, 43 years old, you don't have an Instagram account or a TikTok account, I would advise you to stay off those platforms unless you're getting on there to follow Late Kick, of course. But if you don't have those platforms, you may think of having access to that footage as being valuable so that they could use your likeness and image in a Ford truck commercial. Well, it would be great if you could sign that. But far more likely is you take that footage and then you make a hype video of it. If you don't know what a hype video is, don't worry about it either. But you make a hype video of yourself or someone else does it for you. There are a lot of independent creators out there doing it on a freelance and paid basis. And so you send a bunch of your footage off to one of your freelance guys. He throws together a 45-second highlight video or a hype video, sends it back to you. You upload it on your account based on footage you own because the university is letting you own it. And then you get, oh, 750,000 views on it, and it's worth something. Those platforms will pay you once you get big enough or accounts or brands out there will pay you to be what is called an influencer because you grew your profile and you grew your following because of, in part, that kind of content. That is where it gets valuable. So I know that's a long-winded way of answering this. And I don't know how camps are going to tie into this, but that's the way to look at this in the future. That's where the big money is going to be made. The big money is going to be made in acquiring your own digital media assets that you used to not own, and now they're going to give you the ability to own them. There's a lot of pain in this next question, but I'm going to read it normally. I'm not going to read it painfully. As an Auburn fan, I really despise the other team we share a state with. However, I do enjoy hearing your memories from their top wins a few episodes back. And I was wondering, forget about the wins. Do you have any memories or stories to share of their losses? I know those are few and far between but I enjoy hearing about them nonetheless. You know, I don't have the best way of reading these questions. I crane my neck to the side. I don't know why. I don't just take the laptop. Hold on a second. There we go. So now it's in front of me. Okay, so now I can read without sounding like I have to squint to see it, which I was doing previously. Uh, yes, the, the answer is yes. I have a couple of stories. I'll go through these quickly. I don't know why because we don't have a time limit. But the first story is from the Iron Bowl. Since you're an Auburn fan, let me give you one from the Iron Bowl in 2017, this is, I believe, a 26-14, 27-14 loss, something like that. It was in Jordan-Hare Stadium. Jalen Hurts, starting quarterback for Alabama. Uh, they really just couldn't move the ball much on Auburn. And it was a convincing win. I Think about that. Beating Nick Saban by double digits, that that's, doesn't happen very often. And Bama went on to win a national title anyway this year. And there was a little quarterback change. Remember that happened in the national title game this year? Well, internally... A lot of the Bama players and coaches had wanted that change to happen for a while. See, Tua had been showing out in practice, had all year. Saban was very loyal to Jalen Hurts, 
and it was not the most pleasant of times around there. Now, you don't know about this because they went on to win a title, and no team that wins a title could ever have dysfunction in the locker room, right? Well, that's wrong. No Nick Saban team could ever have that, right? No, that's wrong. Uh, he just knows how to harness them the right way anyway. Uh, but these are humans. And these are alpha competitors. I'm going to say just like every other program. They're better than every other program. And so what happened was Alabama's going to lose. It's obvious they can't come back from that deficit. And it becomes clear as, as we're standing on the sideline that the Auburn fans are going to storm the field. And I want no part of that. So I go down to the Alabama tunnel. And I, as soon as the clock starts winding down and here comes the mob, I just run up the tunnel, which I'm allowed to do, and I go stand up there. Well, I was up the tunnel before Bama's team came up the tunnel. So here they come. Now, they're composed on the field because they've been trained to be that way. But once they get up that tunnel, they are out of the view of the public and cameras. And boy, I'm not going to name the receivers, but some high-profile receivers, let me say that, just lost it. I mean, flipped equipment flying all over the place, can totally irate, like borderline mutinous behavior there because the quarterback change had not been made. And it, it, they were never given a shot. So what they were mad about is Tua didn't even get a shot in the game. And it got late, and they were so stagnant, and their thought process was, why in the world are we not at least trying something here? Now they end up getting a reprieve, and they go to the national championship game, and at halftime – their head coach, Nick Saban, does make that move. And so that's a little bit of backstory. Now, if you ever go back and watch this game again, and you watch the body language of those receivers, and you watch how they go over the cliff in that second half, that's part of it. Because they had begged and pleaded, give this dude a chance. We're telling you, we love Jalen Hurts. They don't, none of them dislike Jalen Hurts. They just knew the better quarterback was the backup quarterback on that team, and they wanted to prove it. It was one of those situations where give it to us, give it to his coach, and he finally gives it to you. You don't want him having the last word, having the I told you so. I was right all along. And so, man, they went over the cliff in the second half in that national championship game, but it was because they really made a scene, not in the public, but outside that locker room, and that head coach listened to him. He also probably watched the film. I think that's another key part of that. The second one was from 2015. This is another loss of theirs. Or 2016, it was in Tampa. So it was the second time they played Clemson. They uh, won the first one. They lost the second one, and it was the Hunter Renfro uh, pick play one second to go. That's, uh, excuse me, touchdown, not pick play. Oh, far be it. Man, what an allegation from me. I think we all saw what happened. But anyway, congratulations, Clemson. Deserved to win the game. But that was a good Bama team. I mean, a lot of people, myself included, thought it was the better team than the one the year before. It was kind of like the Braves. I thought they were better in 96 than they were in 95, but they won it in 95, got beat by the Yankees in 96. So, you know. Second-place trophies are what they are. Well, Nick Saban had a lot of those guys return. A lot of those guys could have gone pro, and they returned to try and repeat as a national champion. And they lost the game, heartbreaking fashion. And so I did the same thing. Now, I didn't rush off the field. I'm on the field. I'm watching Clemson celebrate. But we can go in the locker rooms at national championship games. You can't do it in the regular season. But we can go in the locker rooms during the playoff and the national title game. So I went in that Bama locker room. And I've never, ever, a lot of those guys, never seen emotion from those players and Nick Saban himself like that. Nick Saban was as emotionally distraught as you would expect to be if you failed 85 of your children simultaneously. That's what he looked like. The only other time I've seen him that emotional, it was on the opposite end of the emotional spectrum, but it was when they beat Georgia. He, he put Jalen in 
in the 2018 SEC title game, and they beat Georgia, and he went up the tunnel and bawled his eyes out. But that was from happiness. There were tears this night too, but it was from sadness, and I didn't even want to be in there. I mean, I looked around, and I didn't do an interview with a single player because I didn't think that it was right to have that on camera. Now, that's why I got out of the journalism business. That's why I got out of the reporting business because a reporter's job is to capture that moment. But I, as a former athlete myself who's been in locker rooms, I don't feel that it's the place and time to be gathering that stuff. Now, I'm just philosophically opposed to it, okay? So people in my business or people in that business would look at me and say, it's just sports, man. It's just you got to suck it up. You know, it's, you got to be a big boy. It's part of the game. Okay, you can feel that way. I don't feel that way. I feel like that locker room shouldn't be open, period, at the college level. So that was the first disagreement I always had with my peers. I, I think you can gather everything you want to gather outside that locker room. And they make players available outside the locker room all the time. And that, you know, that's just that's a little side note for me. I'll get in an argument after argument with reporters about that. But that's my personal feel on it. So I didn't gather any footage. I just I took the camera guy that was with me and we walked out, said, let's just go to the press conference. So we walked down the tunnel, went to the press conference. And of course, you know, he brings Jonathan Allen in there. Saban comes in there and they were composed by that point. But boy, that scene in that locker room, unlike anything I had ever seen before or since from that group. Some really incredible moments to witness, though. Very, very blessed to, to be, just be in position to see that stuff, having grown up as a kid watching the game and always you know, thinking about that entire different world that exists. Never thought I'd have access to it, so I do appreciate it. All right, now we shift. So we're towards the end here. We're going to pivot to the This Is Your Life portion of the podcast. As promised last week, I think it was Thursday of last week, Corbin submits the question. He said, would you be able to give a summary of your broadcasting career on the podcast or just in an email reply? I hear you often drop a reference here and there of different places you've been. I was just curious how you got into broadcasting. Where did you start? How did you get involved with CBS and 24-7? And how do you have the platform you currently enjoy? I appreciate this question. One day probably I'll be able to just do an hour speaking circuit version of this. Because I think my story is very fun. I think it's very valuable, though. It's valuable because it doesn't matter if you don't have a lick of talent in the world of media. you got talent somewhere. You need to figure out what it is. You need to figure out where it overlaps with your passion and just draw a circle there and find how many careers you can isolate in that little intersection, that circle around the intersection of talent and passion. It should be the focus of everyone's life. You didn't get your talent yourself. Someone gave it to you. It was put inside you. It's there to be used. It's not there to just bottle up and only use in your spare time or use as a hobby or don't use at all. And your passion's the same way. It's very beautiful because everyone's unique in that way. No one has the exact combination of talent and passion that you do. And yet we got a lot of people in our business and in our world that try and emulate others where you're not designed to be anyone else. You're designed to be yourself. So anyway... My reason for saying that is I didn't get that for a long time. And so I looked elsewhere for inspiration. Inspiration's fine. I'm not saying I haven't been inspired by people, but I was looking to other people as a model of how I should live or how I should approach my career. That's not the way to do it. You can take guidance. You can draw hints and clues, but there's something in you that's not in them. And there's something in them, not in you. So in a lot of ways, it really becomes a waste of time to do that. I'll tell you what happened. I was working construction, Knew I didn't want to do it the rest of my life. Learned a lot of lessons there, though. Ended up in a fabric warehouse, non-air-conditioned, this time of year especially. That's just torturous in Georgia. And um, I would listen to sports talk radio every single day. That was the day. You get in, 
You unload the Southeastern freight truck. You listen to Colin Cowherd at that time at ESPN Radio. You get to lunch. You get back in. You've got whatever show on ESPN Radio happens in the afternoon. Then there was an afternoon drive show. And then that's the end of the day. I mean, that was my entire day. I just listened to Sports Talk Radio all day. Loved it. Always had been enamored with it. Thought I had a little bit of talent and skill enough to do it. Had no clue how to do it. I didn't have a dad who worked at a radio station. I didn't have a mom who was an accountant in Bristol, Connecticut at ESPN. I didn't have a cousin who owned his own conglomerate of local TV stations. I had nothing. I had no contacts. I had no relationships. I didn't have the college degree at the time necessary. I'm going to say necessary loosely. I thought it was necessary. Uh, But I knew I wanted to do it. I just didn't know how. So I sat in that sample department in that warehouse for a couple of years, and that was my day every day, not getting any younger. And so the local radio show that was there in Columbus was called The Press Box. It was hosted by a guy named Bobby Z. He had been a big-time FM DJ in several of the big markets, Houston most notably. Uh, But he loved sports, and so he came to Columbus to do sports talk radio. And so I would listen every day. I listened for about a year. And I finally got up the nerve to email him or Facebook message him, I think. And I said, can I just come in and watch the show? I've never seen it before. I've never been in a studio. I didn't expect to get an answer. And I got an answer really quick. He said, yeah, come on in. And I started to come in. And I brought in some of my demo material, some of my real material. And all that is, for those unfamiliar, is you get yourself in a studio or just put a microphone in front of you, record yourself, boom, you got a demo reel. Hopefully it sounds decent enough. And so I gave it to him. I didn't know if he had listened to it or not, but I got to sit in the radio station and I got to see production happen for the first time. I got to see how you pod someone up when they're coming in. I got to see how you provide audio beds when you're going to do a produced segment. I got to see how call structure was formatted. I got to see how you hit your hard ends and hard outs. I got to see all that stuff. And so it was great because unbeknownst to myself, I had always observed Instead of just listened and watched, I'd always observed. And so a lot of it made sense. You didn't have to tell me twice why you were doing something. Well, a few weeks go by and his co-host gets sick one day and I can come in there and I can just watch and watch and watch until all of a sudden I get told, hey, pun's not in today. Can you hop on air? And I said, yes, I can. It was the middle of football season and we took calls for three hours, highlight of my life, thought it was the only time I was ever going to be able to do it. We wrap up the show. He says to me, that was a good job. I thought we were going to crash and burn. We didn't. It was a really good job. Appreciate you hopping in on a moment's notice. Where'd you say you would work before? I said, I've never worked before. He thought I was lying to him because I did a good enough job on air that he thought I had made that up. He thought I had been somewhere else and I just came in there and I was lying about not having experience. Don't know what sense that would make, but he thought I was lying. I said, no, I've never worked anywhere. I've never been in media anywhere. And I never got taken off the air again. I was given a permanent spot there. It was a three-man booth when I was in there because the co-host came back, Punk came back, and I was still in there. And so we had some fun, man. It was so blazing hot in that studio because there was no air circulation, Uh, probably an OSHA violation, but we didn't report it because we were getting to do sports talk radio. And they actually paid us a little bit of money to do it too. Legendary shows. Very, very much flying in the face of what FCC regulations typically allow you to do. But we were just enough off the radar where it didn't matter there in Columbus, Georgia. But that's a big break, but I'll tell you where an even bigger break came, and I tweeted this out today, actually, and it was sort of inspired by knowing I was going to talk about this. I'm recording in the evening, and so you're listening to this the next day, but I knew I was going to talk about this tonight, so I tweeted it out earlier today. I said, the best advice you can ever have, in this line of work especially, is to treat every day like your job interview. 
This is not a classical situation. Sports media, media in general, it's not a classic situation. If you're in performance-based art in general, you do not get hired because of your job interview or your resume or your college degree. You get hired based on whether you can produce or not. I've interviewed for radio now, TV, and 24-7 and CBS. No one ever even asked me where I went to school. They didn't care. They had already seen what they needed to see. So my next big break is tied right into that. I'm sitting at home one day. I get a phone call. Phone call is from a general manager at a TV station there in Columbus. He said, you don't know this, but I've been listening to you every day driving home for about a month now. I get off work about the time you're on radio. Me and the sales team over here, we got an idea. We want to do a five-night-per-week live college football call-in show on TV. You want to do it? I said, yeah, I think I do. And so I start at WLTZ there in Columbus, Georgia. Ended up being the sports anchor there, too, and the sports director in time. Uh, not qualified, to be blatantly honest with you. Coworkers knew I wasn't qualified. There may have been a little bit of animosity. I don't blame them one bit. Over time, those people became my best friends. So what happened was I finally got to do TV. Had never done it before. Never, never, never. Had never been in a TV studio. The first time I was ever in a TV studio, I was on live TV. First time I ever read a teleprompter or looked at a camera or did a transition three shot to one shot. I was on TV live. Didn't get any practice. It, it was rough for a little while. And that was just the sports anchoring portion. Formatting and blocking and producing the actual college football show, that was a whole bigger chore in and of itself. But we grew that thing over time. We had a really hardcore audience there in Columbus. Uh, you'd call them a P1 audience if you're in radio, but they are diehard. They're there every night. We were hitting at 10 o'clock on the D2 channel, the CW channel there. But we had viewers, and we did pretty good. And so we keep doing that and keep doing that. A couple of years go by, I got a, a buddy named Jonathan Rivers that I co-hosted the show with. Uh, some of the most fun times we ever had. We were also, just to get extra practice in, doing an extra Friday night three-hour radio show over at WCUG, The Cougar, on the corner of 9th and Broad. It's the Columbus State University radio station. I, I had a large part in helping to build and format that entity entirely. We were some of the first programming. Uh, especially long-form live programming that they ever played there. And so Jonathan and I, we do that show at, at WLTZ for a little while, Football Nightly Down South. Never forget that name as long as I live. And one day, I'm looking on my phone or just on my laptop, and I'm on Facebook, and I see a Facebook live stream. Never seen it before. It was a brand-new feature. YouTube Live wasn't around yet. I saw a Facebook live stream, and you know how – Sometimes you hear people tell stories about the past and they say, I knew the second I saw this, or I knew the second I saw that. Most of the time, it's BS. Most of the time, the big realizations in your life, they don't happen just like that. They happen over time. Well, friends, this is one of the very few realizations that it took me a microsecond to realize. I knew the second I saw a Facebook live stream, the entire world was changing. I knew I needed to change my entire world. I knew... That's where the future is. That is how I take what I want to be a national voice and a national approach to college football and actually reach the masses with it. Here's how big, you can't understand unless you're in media how big this was. This was a Berlin Wall moment in sports media. The two main roadblocks that would stand between myself or anyone else even remotely in my shoes and making it nationally were overhead and distribution. It's why we idolized Sports Center anchors or ESPN radio hosts growing up. There were so few of them, and we viewed them almost in a deified manner 
because they were somewhere that you probably can never get because of overhead and distribution. Overhead meaning you need massive studios and massive infrastructure. And then more importantly, really, the second part is distribution. How are they taking your product and getting it to someone in Tupelo, Mississippi and Salem, Oregon at the same time? It used to be called syndication, and it still is. That was the only way. And then all of a sudden, we've got the largest social platform on the face of the earth. There were already several billion people on Facebook at the time, and you're telling me that platform has a live streaming mechanism? You cannot possibly understand how big that was. I mean, I didn't sleep for nearly a week just just envisioning what that could be. So here's what I started to do. I don't know if footage of this still exists, but here's what I started to do. I had been promoted to news anchor since that point. So I'm news anchoring. I'm anchoring the 6 o'clock news. When we get off air, I take my jacket off. I go in our control room because it looks really cool. A lot of buttons and monitors and it looks like a NASA space station in Houston. And so I start taking my cell phone and just doing Facebook Live videos and doing college football the way I want to do it. And management catches on about a week into that. General manager calls me into his office and says, what is this? Uh, I say, that's just something I'm doing on the side. He said, well, it looks to me like you're doing it in my control room. And it looks to me like you're on the clock here. So it's on company time. And it doesn't look like I could stand to make a dime from this. So what point is there in letting you do this? And I didn't have a rebuttal. Of course, he's right. He's not saying anything I wouldn't say if I were in his shoes. But man, that lit a fire under me because I, for the first time, shifted from thinking that was a golden opportunity I had to a place that I was stuck. So I had about a year left on my contract at that point. I took the next year to plan and plan and plan. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I knew exactly how I wanted to do it. I learned YouTube in that year. And I learned that I wanted to be a multi-platform streaming product that I owned. It comes time to negotiate contract. I get called into the news director's office with a general manager. They offer to extend me several years. It would have been really good money. I mean, unheard of money for me at the time. And I declined it because it was not going to include the opportunity to produce my own show that I owned on my own platform. And it was just not something that they were going to bend on. And so we stalemated. Uh, my contract's coming up. I have not renewed. And it looks like we're just going to say all's well that ends well. We go our separate ways. One day before my contract expires, I get called back in and they had essentially been sweating me. And so it didn't work because I had no intention of re-signing if I could not do what I wanted to do. And so I get called back in and they said, what is the deal? Like, what do you have lined up? I said, I didn't have anything lined up. And that was the truth. I didn't have anything lined up. I was going to go somewhere and start a YouTube channel. That's what I was going to do. I was that confident in the vision I had. I had no guarantee. I mean, I was broke already. And so they said, what can we do here? I mean, we got to figure something out. We cannot let you, as a salaried employee, do what you want to do. And so we figured out a workaround. I offered to work 1099 status for them, fractions of the money they would have paid me. I'm not employed, so you don't have to give me benefits. I'll still be your news anchor, but here's what I want in return. I want an hour of studio time, three nights a week, and the ability to bring my own crew in here, and we want to film live a YouTube college football show. And they agreed to it very quickly. They agreed to it. They made sure the studio time was blocked off and they agreed to it and thought that they had kind of one upped me there. They hadn't. They just didn't know it yet. So I was making no money really doing. I was making 50 or $75 per newscast. You want to do the math on that. And uh, I, but we started our show. 
We built our own set. We had to build it every night. We had to wheel it in there and wheel it out of there every night. And we did that show, and we called it Late Kick Live with Josh Pate, the exact same name it's got now. And we did it on YouTube just like it's done now. And we started to grow that subscriber base, and we reached the necessary benchmarks to monetize that thing. And over the span of about eight months, I was making more on that YouTube channel than I had been making at the news station. And a year in, I was making more than I would have been making on salary there. I was on top of the world, man. I was so happy because it paid off. I mean, it it looked like there was legitimate traction. I mean, we were getting some attention. LSU put us in their hype video the week before they played Bama in 2019. Here was the kicker, though. Since I was still associated with the news station, I could get credentialed to games under WLTZ's name. And so I could go shoot my own B-roll. See, the big roadblock for a lot of content creators is they don't have rights and licensing to any video. They don't have elements to use. I was able to do a workaround because I could be credentialed to games and go shoot my own footage and have my own library of B-roll. And it gave me a huge leg up, as did being able to produce a show on YouTube out of a full working TV studio. Could literally have never guessed what was about to happen. November of 2019, show's doing really good. We are really, really high on LSU ahead of time. It pays off. We're riding a wave of momentum. We're starting to get traction. We're starting to be seen enough by college football diehards that it's on people's radars. And I get a call in November of 2019 from Shannon Terry, who was, as you know, the CEO of 24-7 Sports at the time. I let it go to voicemail. I didn't recognize the number. I thought it was spam. It's probably a story I'll tell until the end of time. Yeah, I noticed the name pretty quick on the voicemail. So I call him back. He said... In not so many words, he said, I know that you don't realize this, but we've been watching you. I've been watching your stuff for about a month and a half or two months. I can't believe you're, once he heard my story, he said, I can't believe you're able to pull that off. You shouldn't be able to pull that off, but I want you to come pull it off here. We don't even know fully what we want you to do. Whatever you're going to do, I want you doing it here. I want you to come here and create for us at 24-7 and CBS. And so I talked with him for about the next two weeks. We worked a contract out, and I got here in January of 2020. And sure enough, everything I was promised has been followed through on. I was given full naming rights, full creative control over my show, full production, executive production status of my show. No one to this point in time at 24-7 or CBS has ever stepped in and told me a thing to put on that show. They've never told me a thing to take out of the show, They've never told me not to do anything on the show. So I want you to think about that two-year swing. You're going from being one day away from being unemployed to two years later, one of the biggest media companies on planet Earth handing you the keys to their resources and saying, hey, why don't you come here and we'll triple whatever you were making. And by the way, all you have to do all day is talk about college football. I knew the moment I got here, if we could ever just make sure we can get the product in front of enough people. I thought you guys would love the show because it was going to be your show. That's all it's ever been about. That's all it's ever been intended to be. But without that distribution, without the ability to get your product out, it's kind of like you know yelling in a forest, but there's no one around to hear it. You can do the best job in the world if you don't know how to market and get your product out there. It can be rendered irrelevant a lot of times, but we've gotten it in front of you And it's taken off even to a greater extent than we thought. And I had some pretty lofty goals for it. But you guys have blown away every goal that I had for our stuff when we came here. And let me tell you what you've done. 
I talk about this a lot. I tell you as much as I can tell you and maybe a little bit more than I can tell you. But we get about a year in and all of a sudden the calls you start getting are from CBS Sports and from executives that have been all over the media industry and the ones handling your contract negotiations for your next round they're right at the top of the totem pole. And you got family and friends that support you back home, constantly hear from them, and it feels really good. But let me tell you the bigger feeling I have, and I'll wrap it up after this because this is probably going on like 30 minutes. The biggest feeling I have and the biggest source of excitement is last year wasn't normal. We got here and we started that show on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel in the middle of March. And then we went into lockdown And then we didn't know if we were going to have a season. And it was an election year, so everyone's attention was fragmented. We got fractions of a season. We did not have full investment emotionally from the college football public because there was a lot going on last year. And still, the show was an overwhelming success. So what happens now, a year in, we have refused to take an offseason. Just won't do it. And now we're heading headlong in towards a season where everything returns to normal. If even normal turned up to 11 on the volume scale, we've got a fully established product. We've got great distribution channels. We've got great listenership and viewership. We've got new production hires that will be made public eventually uh, that really just add new dynamics and layers to the show. What happens when all that comes together? Well, we're going to make it the biggest college football show in the country. That's what we're going to do. We're going to make it the best in the country. We are very appreciative. I'm very appreciative, very humbled, very honored and blessed to have the opportunity. We'll never take it for granted, have never taken it for granted, a day in my life. But now that the opportunity is there, we're going to grab it by the throat. There will be none better out there than what we give you this fall. There will not be a college football product on planet Earth that's better than what we give you with Late Kick this fall. So, Corbin, that's an up-to-date picture of the old broadcast career. Let me add one more thing in there. Because one of the other huge blessings you have when you can work for a major organization like this is we can keep the content free. I can keep Late Kick free. I don't have to charge you. I am not bemoaning anyone who has to charge for their content. Please don't misunderstand me. If you're working in the independent world, you have to get by by any means necessary. That's why I'm referring to it as a blessing that we get to produce for free. The only thing the only thing I ask of you guys is follow that Twitter account at Late Kick Josh. Follow that Instagram account at Late Kick Josh. Make sure you're subscribing to the 24 7 Sports YouTube channel and liking those videos. The likes really help. Commenting really helps. But let me tell you what means the most to me. When I see you guys tweeting out, as I've said before, screenshots that you're listening to the podcast or you're watching the show and you tag me in them, I try and retweet as many of them as I can. We get dozens and dozens and dozens per day. That is what means the world because it is the way that this kind of show should be marketed. I don't want to go to the CBS ad executive folks and say, hey, we need $75,000 in our marketing Q1 budget because we need to manufacture excitement for the show. That's not the way I've ever successfully been marketed to. It probably doesn't work for you either. But if you see one of your buddies voluntarily on their Instagram story or their Twitter account put out, evidence that they're listening to a show, late kick, cover three, whatever the case may be. That's how you get me. And that's how we grow this show. We're not spending a dime marketing this show. We're not marketing it anywhere. We're counting on you. That's how we've grown this show. That's how we'll continue to grow the show. So that's what I ask you guys to do. Tell your buddies, tell your friends, put it out there on your IG accounts and your Twitter accounts. We do that. 
we will have everything that we want to have with this show. And we have really only scratched the surface of what we can have with it. I mean, I got an announcement coming up for you. What is today? So, so it's, it's June. Um, I would imagine we're probably about a month, month and a half away. It's not a co-host, so let me spare you that. But I got an announcement for you coming up soon. It's going to be very, very interesting, so just stay tuned for that. Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. There you go. I appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. I hope you guys have a great weekend. I'm going to be on the road. I'm going to be back home in Georgia just in time, apparently to get about a foot of rain, but that's okay. Appreciate you listening anyway. For producer Jordan, I am Josh Pate. Thanks for listening to the Late Kick Extra podcast. Have yourselves a great weekend, and God bless. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.